Bookworms Horror Podcast is sponsored by Creepy Crate. Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. This box delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Go to creepycrate.store to subscribe. Use the code bookworm5 at checkout to get $5 off your subscription. That's bookworm5 for $5 off your subscription. And now to the show. Welcome to Bookworm's Horror Podcast, a podcast to get you inspired to write and hopefully get you encouraged to submit to our horror zine bookworms. I'm your host, James Ippolitti. In this episode, Regina and I discuss a quote. If you haven't purchased issue three, the Halloween issue of Bookworms, it is selling out fast. So get your worms today. The Etsy link is in the show notes. Regina is a Wadi Award winner for Best Horror Novel, as well as multiple screenwriting awards, including a Webby honoree. Regina is also the contributing editor of the best-selling Local Haunts, a horror tube anthology. Find Regina and her alter ego, Batilda, at her booktube channel, Regina's Haunted Library, and on her blog, rstclair.com. Regina and myself are the editors of the Bookworms Horror Zine, and since we're seeking great horror fiction for bookworms, we created this weekly podcast to offer writers quick tips on writing for the genre. Find all our links in the show notes. Now let's jump into my conversation with Regina as she speaks with me from her haunted library. All right, on this episode, Regina and I, we're going to discuss a quote from, and I don't know who this is, maybe you do, Isaac Bashevis Singer. He's a Polish-born Jewish-American novelist, short story writer, memorist, essayist, and translator, well-known for, he actually was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1978. Uh, let's see. A Day of I've Pleasure, heard. Stories of Boys Growing Up in Warsaw. A yeah, crown, someone I've definitely heard of but never read. Yeah, A Crown of Feathers and Other Stories. So. Okay. All right. Here's the Somebody quote. Here's Isaac's quote. Every creator painfully experiences the chasm between his inner vision and its ultimate expression. The chasm mm. is never completely bridged. We all yeah. have the conviction perhaps illusory that we have much more to say than appears on the paper. I love this one. Yeah, it's a good one. What does it make you feel or think of? This makes me feel and think that I have a lot of work to do to be a better writer because what I get from that is we have an idea of what we want to convey but then it's up to our craft and our talent and ability to make, to recreate that in the reader. And that's the chasm because who knows what your reader's getting. You can only try to do your best and hope that you come close to your idea. 
you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, it's like what I want to convey is, is, is far perhaps from what I'm, what, what, what I'm capable of conveying. So that, that's a very, I think a very true quote, but not uh, discouraging because you really have to work to make that happen. Yeah. I guess I wasn't thinking, closer. I wasn't thinking of the reader that you brought oh, okay. that up, but I think that's interesting because that is who's ultimately the reason why I wasn't thinking of the reader is because the reader may not, they're not going to know what your original thing is. You're the only one who experiences that chasm. It is like you had brought up improving your craft. I think that is, but you will, the, the thing you have to realize you will never ever bridge that. You right. will never bridge what your initial thought is. This is my opinion to what the final product is. Because I don't think it ever comes out like I, I, it could be wrong. There are probably some artists who have created something and says that's exactly what I had in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority are like doing their best to get that thing from their head onto paper and saying, you know, this is, this is as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Like I, I had this very powerful dream a few weeks ago and. I wanted the vision I had was this incredible orange uh, like cornfield that, that it wasn't on fire, but the color of the corn was like fire orange. And this was my dream. And then there was a witch, like a silhouette of a witch, like in black, like uh, tearing through the uh, cornfield. And she was driving this like horse drawn carriage. I'd been reading Dracula. So I think it had something to do with that. <laughs> Or you were a witch in your past life. That's very possible. And you were burned. Uh, Yep. Perhaps. But the vision, the visual that I had, the picture was so amazing. And I said to Joe, I want to paint this, but I don't have the skill to paint it the way I really saw it. I knew it. I went over to the studio and I just started fooling around with paints. And I'm like, ah, it's not working. And he's like, well, at least paint the colors. And he's an artist, so he... You know, it was good advice. So I, I painted the colors and it became sort of an abstract picture. It, it was nice to kind of get it out, but it certainly was a pale comparison to my vision. Now, I think there's a danger in bridging this gap, though, sometimes. And this is when an artist comes back. And how do you feel about this? If an artist comes back to revisit their work that is already out there, is already praised, and saying, I'm going to change it now that I have the the skills or the technique or whatever I need it. I have that now. I'm going to go and fix it. I hate that. I have to say, I have rarely seen a director's cut of a film that's improved from the original. Yeah, in a film, case, it seems to point, be... Uh, you know, Coppola's Apocalypse Now, he, his, I can't stand the redux or whatever he, he released. I couldn't watch it. It, it it destroyed the movie for me. Well, don't, what about I know with you, it. you recently were doing talking about The Exorcist. Now, mm-hmm. the original cut of The Exorcist had twelve minutes that weren't in it, and I like the original cut. And um, Freakin did too, but Blatty, they didn't talk for many, many, many years because of those twelve minutes. 
Yeah, I just I just did like a, a video about and I did I'm editing about watching all the Exorcist films. I'm ranking them. So I did hear about that. Um yeah, like like the Exorcist, or maybe it's just the first the first cut to me was perfect. It didn't need the spider walk. I think Reagan needs to stay in the bedroom once she becomes possessed. I think it's much scarier that way. It's more about what we don't see sometimes than yes. what we do see. And I think the movie's perfect the way it was and don't meddle with it. Wasn't the author who, who did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Roald Dahl? Yeah, didn't they censor some of his work posthumously? There's a lot of people who are doing that, and I don't agree with it. No, neither do I. Um, let it let it be out there. It's 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 You can't. I mean, that's 1984, you know, that's like going in and, and re-erasing history and redoing it and saying this is what it was. I mean, that's... Yes, that's... I mean, if, if you want to add a, a forward yes. to the work that explains why the this could be offensive or whatever the issue is, then do that. But we don't need to have these works censored. I, I, I believe very strongly in that as, as an artist myself. And I know it's it's a big debate, but just let it let it be. I mean, I always loved reading when I was in uh, college and reading like ancient Greek myths, where Zeus is like you know rape. He's like a rapist, yeah, you know? <laughs> like on every other page. Yep. And and he was the chief god, you know. But that it was about his his power and his virility, and no one really thought about the poor girl that. You know, he he dressed up as a swan and then knocked her into the weeds and, you know, did what he wanted. But we can look at these things now and think, ah, times were really different of this, you know. But it doesn't mean we should change those myths because we might find them, you know, offensive now. Yeah, because you're 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 capturing history the way it was at that moment. There's no you can't go and and clean it up. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, you're really going to look at the Greek tragedies and try to change those. I mean, where Medea, you know, spoiler alert, murders her children to get back at the husband. Well, read the Daily Mail. That stuff still happens. Yeah. So well, even like, Medusa. Medusa is like raped on the floor of what, Athena's? Oh, yeah. You know, and then it's it's her fault, you know? Yeah, it's her fault. And that incredible statue, I forget, is that Bellini, where... uh the uh perseus is the one who is perseus the one who killed uh no is he the minister who killed uh medusa yeah i think it was perseus i know it from clash of the titans (laughs) oh okay well yeah i mean all those myths are great and that really i know i love clash of the titans but there's that statue where he's standing on her decapitated body and holding up her head and yep. it's very grotesque i love it of course because i'm a horror fan it's great but like are you going to protect people from that horrible story and image because um we don't really think as much that way but i would have to disagree because i've just in my nightmares i've seen like a medusa figure in like that harpy type of female horror figure in my nightmares and that's it's a powerful archetype so let's keep it yeah i agree 
they don't go away. These these archetypes they 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 shift and change and become transformed into a different type of monster, but they're still there. Yeah. So with this quote, the idea is you have something, do your best to capture that, but don't freak out because you might not get exactly what you want. It could be better than what you. That's true. That is so true. Um, A lot of times. And again, don't be like George Lucas and go back and change everything. Like really he, he takes it to a level that I think is just insane. Uh, yeah, like, what's the point? Now we're, we're supposed to go back and say, oh, we can't enjoy this this film we watched 40 years ago because it's not what he wanted? Come on. Well, here's here's my opinion about this as well. If you do want to revisit your work, I believe you still owe it to the audience to keep that other original work available to them, not take away the original and say, this is what you're going to like now. And this is what Lucas did. You cannot get the original version of the star Wars movies as they were. No, you can't, you can get a bootleg. You cannot get it. Um, on Blu-ray or anything. It's not available. Yeah. Yeah. He made it. It's just not available, which really pisses me off. Now, luckily there was, there's some great people who out there who, who yeah. <laughs> actually went and made it. It's called the D-Specialized Edition. You can oh, wow. find it online. And to me, that that's kind of crazy. Let your audience have, let them have it the original way. And if you want to offer them a new version of what you think, I'm okay with that. I'll look at it. But don't take yeah, away look- the original thing. Like I have a, a missing chapter, a prologue that I cut from my book Unmasked, which is my first novel. I was thinking, oh, you know, again, I was reading too many advice columns where it's like, you know, don't don't write prologues, start right in the action. And I think I really lost something by not including that prologue. So one of these days I'm going to write a sequel to that book and I will put it out with the prologue, but I will keep the original out there, but I'll I'll put that out with, because it's such a short book, I'm going to include the first book with the the sequel and include the uh, missing chapter because I think that it adds to the story. Yeah, I think this is... Maybe I'm going back and meddling, I don't know. Not Uh, that anyone cares. Well, I care. I'll I'll out you (laughs) if you do it. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not... I will still have my original one available. Right. I have it anyway, so you can't. Oh, okay. I have it. You put out the bootleg copy. That's right. If you you decide to be George Lucas. The public will just go mad. So I really enjoyed that quote. And I think Mm -hmm. it, one thing that I think as a writer you might suffer from is you can't finish your work because of this chasm. Mm -hmm. You need to one day decide, like they say, art is abandoned. Right. So do your best to get to that place. But eventually you have to say, this is it and move on. Or you will be trying to chase that, you know, build that bridge for the rest of your life and never get it done. Yes. Don't it's, it's kind of, you think with George Lucas, he would just move, have moved forward as an artist and not continue looking back at his best work, but, to create new work yeah well he i don't know he's a big liar because 
<laughs> he is. See, I'm, not a, I'm not a Star Wars fan. You know all this stuff. I'm hardcore, and no, but I I, not anymore though. You know what? It's Disney's got me to a place where I don't consider myself a Star Wars fan anymore. I'm just a fan of like the old stuff, and maybe yeah. a couple new things. But he sold everything to Disney because he said he wanted to go back to his garage and tinker and make small little independent films. Where are these films? He's been saying this for years. He's not done anything. Go make your yeah. little movies. I'm interested to see you do something. So, yeah. Yeah, like I think I think sometimes an artist uh, tones it down and just does like a short film or, or just something real low budget. It's much more interesting than having them do this big thing that gets bloated and silly. Yeah, It's like musicians when they they release their solo works you know maybe that's for the hardcore fans but those can be quite enjoyable yeah it's interesting too because if you look at the beatles a lot of their solo work were going to be beatles songs mm, yeah, you know that's the early point. stuff and yeah. and they ended up you know paul with the wings doing a lot of songs john did songs you know that were probably if they stayed together would have been beatles songs like they existed when the beatles existed they just didn't record them until they went solo yes i was listening to joe and i drove up to easton on saturday and we were listening to xm radio they have a beatles station so they were playing a lot of deep tracks and yeah things. and it's so nice to hear like obscure cuts off like the plastic ono band you know back in the 70s and yeah it's like, oh wow this is cool yeah even the yoko stuff they were playing some of the yoko stuff and i was like okay i like yoko and i know yeah, I do you do too uh we're probably the only two on the planet <laughs> but i do when i listen to like double fantasy she's got some great stuff on there she does and, and she really does joe and i were saying like she didn't blend well with the beatles because their sound was so rock and roll and commercial in a lot of ways but she she definitely has her own vibe and i also feel like uh the documentary get back that was out mm -hmm. i love that it yeah. was so good but you realize she wasn't doing anything wrong literally she was quilting the whole time you know like yeah and occasionally she'd get up and have fun but no i didn't see any problem with her yeah I saw more problems with Paul than her. I love Paul, though. I, I kind of, like, I, I, he, John used to be my favorite Beatle, but after watching that, I really related to Paul because he was, like, just trying to get the damn record done. Oh, it was so funny. Um, yeah, let's end with this because uh, he really was trying to, once, who was it? Epstein. Epstein died. George Brian Martin Epstein. was still there, but Epstein died, and then it was like Paul was trying to be the new manager, but they never had that skill just couldn't no. get everybody together but i still think john is my favorite um and i'm saying that understanding that he was probably an awful human to women i'm not yeah. a, i'm not i always felt bad for cynthia i think he was a real and person. and julian yes um i'm not condoning anything he's done as a human i'm saying no. musically he's my favorite I, I yeah I like well I like I like all of them in different ways but I think yeah. John was definitely a flawed person had a lot of trauma that kind of makes you understand where he was coming from with a lot of his dysfunction I think Paul just came from a more balanced background and, and was more like you know well adjusted and 
I don't know. It comes out that Paul's just kind of like, come on, guys. Can we get this done? Yeah. All right. Let's end there. And we'll be back next week with another quote. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to the Bookworms Horror Podcast. All our links are in the show notes. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Bookworms is a Gorilla Delphia production. Yeah!